Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University, class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you on how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcome. And one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time in the world as diversity, equity, and inclusion have never been more important. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. Her name is Kelly McDonald. Kelly is considered one of the nation's top experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion. In leadership, marketing, the customer experience, and consumer trends. She has written multiple books, and her latest is titled, How to Work with and Lead People Not Like You, Practical Solutions for Today's Diverse Workplace. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Kelly. Good morning, Greg. How are you? And good morning to your audience who is listening now. Uh, we're doing great and we're doing even better that you're with us today. So thanks so much for joining us. Maybe we can start by you sharing what city and state you're speaking from today. Yes, uh, you might see my fireplace going there in the background. I am in Denver, Colorado, and today it is cold and blustery and snowy. And so I've got my fireplace on, and that's where I am. <laughs> Coming to you from the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> uh, well, I know our skis in the audience are very jealous, certainly a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Sadly, Kelly, we've only got about 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about you, your experiences, this fabulous book of yours. So if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Let's do it. Thank you. Is it harder, Kelly, would you say, to work with people not like us than, and even if it was, say, two years ago? Absolutely. Um, I think what's happening is while diverse teams have been coming together for the last you know, 10, 15 years, HR has done a great job of making teams more diverse. What they haven't done or what people don't know how to do and what they struggle with is how to actually navigate working with someone who might not be like you. I mean, maybe, you know, totally different race, age, uh, generation, gender, sexuality, all those obvious things, but also even their perspective, you know, like where are they coming from and what kind of backgrounds do they have? They bring those perspectives to work and sometimes that doesn't gel. And I think what is making it difficult now, Greg, is that people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing that they say nothing. And I don't think that's good for business. I don't think it's good for us, but it's certainly not going to move business forward. We have to be able to talk about things, but people feel like they're stepping on a landmine, you know, or at least walking a minefield. And they, they truly are frozen 
and don't know how to say, you know, how to, I don't know how to express themselves or how to do the icebreakers that actually bring people together. Uh, maybe this is a silly question, but how do we overcome being afraid to speak up? That is not, that is not a silly question at all. Um, I think it's the first thing is to understand that this is hard for everybody, not just for you, not just for me, not just for whoever. The other person feels the same tension or discomfort or at least, you know, anxiety or whatever, just sort of like, ah, I don't know how this is going to go. And I think we have to, number one, acknowledge that and just understand that most of us were socialized not to talk about these things. So it's no surprise that we don't have tools. We don't know how to do it. And that that discomfort is normal. It doesn't make you a bad person because you don't know how to do this or you feel discomfort. That you're not alone and it's, you're not a bad person. So I think the first thing is to just understand that, okay, this is going to be hard. I'm going to probably clunk my way through this. And then the second thing I think is just to to manage your own expectations and start small, you know, I mean, to start a conversation and do an icebreaker with someone that you don't really either see eye to eye or you don't know very well, start easy with something like, tell me about yourself or tell me what, tell me what your perspective on this is, because that doesn't make it personal. It makes it more intellectual and makes it more businessy. Like, tell me what your perspective on this is. What do you see when we're talking about this? Or what do you, what are you thinking when we're talking about this project? What great advice, certainly. Now, as a Franciscan brother of Brooklyn, I feel kind of embarrassed asking this question, but I have to anyhow, because there are just people that rub us the wrong way. Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, again, it doesn't make you a bad person, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we don't even know why they rub us the wrong way. But how can we make these conversations? How can we speak up with these individuals even, please? Well, I think if, if they're rubbing you the wrong way because they're insulting you or something that's really concrete like that, that's a lot easier to address than somebody that just rubs you the wrong way and you don't even know why, right? It just, it's just there's something about them that just is like, eh, you know. I think the thing to do is to, is to again, make the effort to communicate because what most people do, Greg, in that situation where someone rubs them the wrong way is they ignore them. They have as little contact with them as possible, okay? Because it's just ick, you know? So- I'm not saying you got to buddy up to everybody and at work in, in increasingly, you know, we're all working with people who are not like us and you're, you're not going to like some people and that's okay. Why that is very comforting to know. No, certainly about that. And very empowering also Yeah, that we're just not going to be enamored with everyone that we work right. with. And it's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I left the corporate world, the big pharma. I had 30 years in big pharma, and I left in 2005 for my pursuits with the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn. But there's a phrase that has really come into play the last 15 or 20 years since I left. And we even have it to some extent in higher education, political correctness. For sure. Maybe we can talk a little bit about this because if we're frustrated with political correctness or don't know what to say, we're afraid of offending, talk to us, please, about political correctness. Well, and I think the word has actually taken on a much more negative tone than it was ever intended for. I think, uh, you know, that phrase got, I don't know, co-opted or hijacked by whoever, and it became a negative way to say expressing respectfully differences okay and so there's nothing wrong with talking about our differences what you don't want to do is ever offend or 
make the other person wonder what's coming at me, right? So like a lot of people will dance around something and they'll say things like, you know, um, I know people like you want to do it this way. And it's like, what does people like you mean? You know, I mean, just things like that. So I think political respect, political correctness, what it really should be is respect for another person and all the differences that go with it. And as, as diplomatically, professionally, and sincerely asking questions or making conversation, as opposed to the person who is using political correctness in a completely insincere way and often mocking. It's actually sometimes even a mocking way. Really? Totally. People will be like, yeah, like, uh, you know, the women here, they get all upset when, you know, and it's just, I mean, there's like eyes and dismissiveness and stuff. So I think what, what we should, we should replace the words political correctness with sense, you know, professional sensitivity really is what it is, which is, I don't want to make you feel demeaned. I don't want to make you feel devalued. I want to talk to you. Really what I want to do is I want to talk to you. And as long as I do it professionally, I really don't have to work and respectfully, I really don't have to worry about whether it's PC. And I think just PC has, is, is just a word that doesn't mean anything that it should mean. And also I feel like there's nothing political about it. So number, well, there's two things. It's a, it's a, it's a misnomer because it's not political and it's usually not correct. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> wow. So I would replace that with professional and respectful dialogue. I like what you used before. You said about professional sensitivity. Yeah. That has a much more positive connotation than political correctness. Right, right. And political correctness, again, maybe it's just me, Greg, but to me these days, it smacks of insincerity and it and, and oftentimes it smacks of disdain, right? Oh yeah, I was trying to talk to Craig and then he had to go all politically correct on me. I mean, it's never said in a positive way. It's always said in this like sarcastic, dismissive way. Now, it's interesting because you just mentioned about questions that make starting a conversation about differences easier and more likely to result in a positive outcome. Yeah. Why don't you share a couple of questions with us that we can start to ask that will really help open up the dialogue. I, my favorite question in the whole world is, tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. It's better than where are you from, right? Because sometimes if someone has a different, what I call envelope than me, right? Like my envelope is middle-aged white lady, you know, and somebody's envelope might be black or brown or a different gender, a different age or whatever. So we're judging each other, you know, by these envelopes. And if we say things like, so where are you from? And then someone who, you know, has different shaped eyes or different skin or a heavy accent replies, you know, Tulsa, then we are like, no, no, but where are you from, from? <laughs> and so oh, it like, it implies, yeah, it implies that that person is a foreigner in their own land. Right. So I think a better uh. If you're curious about someone, and I think curiosity is a good thing, and I think I also think it's a respectful thing. Um, so if you're curious about someone, I go with, tell me about yourself. And what I find, Greg, is that people will tell you what they think is important. They will tell you, yeah, I just got into this company six months ago, and you know, I came from uh, Price Waterhouse, or you know, uh, et cetera, or you came from Big Pharma. They're going to tell you what they think you should know. And that's a great jumping off point then, because if they tell you something interesting, 
then off you go. Then you're talking, right? Yeah. Um, That's absolutely brilliant. If I could just interrupt one second, Kelly, please. I've heard that used in an interview setting. Yes. But I've never heard it used outside of an interview setting. That is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, at a lot of large companies, people are working in their departments and they maybe know someone or seen their name on an email or seen them in the hallway, but they really don't know them. And then they find themselves in a meeting and let's say they're working on a, you know, cross-functional project together. And I'm sitting across from you. And again, I mean, I say hi to you in the hallways. Hey, Greg. Hey, Greg. You know, whatever. But we don't really know each other. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, Greg, we've been working at the same place here for two years now. And I just realized I don't really know anything about you. Tell me about yourself. And you'd be amazed what people will tell you. I, I, I did this at uh, a company that I worked for years ago. And it was a guy that I knew. He was in the accounting department. We didn't have much interaction. But uh, so one day I said that to him and he said, well, my wife and I are in the process of adopting a little baby girl. Oh, I like, wow. I would have never known that because it was personal. It wasn't professional. It would have never come up ever if I hadn't asked that question that way. And then the greatest thing about it is for the next three years, it gave me a ton of things to talk about with him. Every time I saw him, I was like, Mark, how's your little girl? And he'd be like, oh, she's learning her ABCs. It's driving me nuts. She's oh, wow. But yeah, I mean, you just never know. And so I like that one a lot. The other one I really like is, um, tell me what you were doing prior to this role. Because that's a professional question and it's a completely legit one. Don't say, how did you get your job? Because when you say, how did you get your job? It sort of implies that that person didn't really earn it, that they were either, you know, tokenism or that they had somebody who helped them, you know, and most of us have our jobs based on what we've done in the past. So a really legitimate question is, tell me about the role that you were in right before you, or, you know, prior to this role. And asking these types of questions, I think, are wow. just really great ways to break the ice and start conversations that will really demonstrate to you that people are people. You know, like we're not that different, really. You're just so empowering, Kelly, when you say to someone like that, you know, share with me about the role you had previously. And it's ironic because I am just transitioning now from the career center to mission, ministry, interfaith dialogue. And already my perspective on the higher ed, the world, and on our college alone has changed drastically because I'm seeing, I'm now in a different role, so I'm seeing the world differently love that you said different perspective and that's what it's all about and 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 the same person can actually have different perspectives at different times in their life i mean it's not just like one way and then that's it you know and so you know that whole uh, another one is just tell me how you see it right like if we're let's say having a difference we're working on a project together or we're trying to move the ball down the field and we and we just can't get there then just you know greg tell me how you see this like what's the sticking point for you it has nothing to do with you personally. It has to do with the business, but it's also totally respecting and acknowledging that you have a point of view and maybe I haven't really gotten clear on what that is. So please tell me. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. Now, I feel bad asking this next question, but in a conversation like this, Kelly, I hope it's okay because it really needs to be discussed. In the workplace, how do we handle racist, sexist, homophobic, other offensive remarks in a productive way that we can aim at resolution. Can we do that? 
Yes. And I don't think that that's a question to apologize for at all. I think that's a question that we really need some coaching and training on because again, it's going to happen whether it happens to us or to somebody else. And we need to know how to behave in those situations. So I'm going to give you two different examples. One is what one is when you are the victim. Okay. So somebody says something dismissive or demeaning to you, racist, sexist, misogynistic, whatever it might be, something demeaning and dismissive. If you're the victim of that, I think the best way to approach it is to look the other person right in the eye and go, I'm sure you didn't mean that the way that that came across, or I'm sure you didn't mean that the way it sounded, which sends a major flag to the other person that they just stepped way out of line and it gives them the chance to recover. So I go back to like every psychologist will say, assume goodwill. Like it's always easy to tear somebody's head off, right? It's super easy to tear somebody's head off and you're going to find out pretty quickly if you need to (laughs) tear their head off. But every once in a while, people just step in dog do, Greg. You know, they just say the wrong thing. It comes out the wrong way. So we give them a little bit of grace and we say, again, very pointedly and maybe with a little sarcastic smile is, I'm sure you didn't mean that the way it just sounded. And someone is either going to have that reaction of like, oh my gosh, no, I'm so sorry. What, what did I say? Or like, oh, you know, and they're, they're truly sincerely sorry. Or they're going to be like, well, I just don't understand why you people do this or this, you know? And so then they're digging in and then you can actually respond to that and say, that's not okay. And here's why. Right. But, but you, but you, you kind of cornered them into reacting. The other kind of situation is when you're the bystander. And I want to talk about this a little bit because- The bystander actually has a psychological effect that you can Google and you can read all about it. It's called the bystander effect. And this is what happens when you are not the perpetrator, nor are you the victim. And you hear something or see something that someone says that is bullying, rude, cruel, dismissive, you know, to another. People usually, you know, think about how they do fight or flight, but there's a third response and that is freeze. And a lot of people in that moment They see another person being mistreated at work, especially maybe the the bully is not in your department. Maybe it's a person who's above you. I mean, all these sort of, you know, careful things. And in that moment, they know it's wrong, but they freeze, Greg. I mean, they literally are just like, their mind goes blank. I don't know what to do. So if you don't freeze, here's what you could do. You can say, Jennifer, are you okay with what Greg just said? Because I'm not. I thought it was really rude. And I thought it was really dismissive. And I just want to make sure you're okay because, you know, that comment was directed at you. And I thought it was pretty out of line. You're letting her know that you're an ally. You're letting him know, the perpetrator, that you just crossed that line. And you better apologize and make it right right now because we're all watching or I'm watching. Oh, wow. So that's what happens if you're the bystander for someone else and you can speak up in the moment. You know, Jennifer, are you okay with what he said? Because I'm not, you know. Um, the other thing is if you do freeze in that moment and you say nothing, it's never, ever too late to actually make that right. You can go to the perpetrator later when you collect your thoughts. Maybe it's that same day. Maybe it's the next day and say, you know, Greg, in yesterday's meeting, when you made that comment to Jennifer about X, Y, Z, I thought it was really rude and dismissive and it was really out of line, you know, and I didn't say anything in the moment, but I want you to know that if it happens again, I'm going to say something because we don't tolerate that here. And then you go to the victim and you say, Jennifer, yesterday in the meeting, I didn't speak up when Greg said whatever he said. And that was wrong, but I was absolutely so dumbstruck that I didn't know what to say. 
I have actually since talked to him and I've told him that if that happens again, I'm going to report him. But right now, what I want to know is, are you okay? And I want you to know that I stand with you, even though I blew it in that moment. Wow. How beautifully supportive mm -hmm. of our colleague and also how beautifully assertive to let the perpetrator know that behavior is not acceptable and should not be done again. Right. And that, and that they're, we're, we're watching you now, <laughs> wow. but it's really important to understand that it's never too late to say that after the fact, even if it's a week later, I mean, wow. you're going to be as the bystander, you're going to be riddled with guilt that you said nothing and that's corrosive. So even if it takes you a week to either think it through or get up the courage or whatever, go say something. And you can, you know, you can say, you know, this happened last week and it's still eating at me, Greg, because when you said that in the meeting, it was just, it was wrong. It was out of line. It was, that's not who we are here, you know? And, um, and then tell the victim and apologize. And then, you know, basically say, I'm sorry. I hope you'll forgive me because I blew it in the moment, but I do stand with you. Do you ever see situations where someone says something and then maybe 15, 30 minutes later, they, they realize maybe it was the wrong thing and they do apologize? Sure. That happens all the time. I think people do reflect on what they say and, and how they behave. And, you know, and I think when you say something, you can, you can pick up on body language pretty quickly. I mean, even on a Zoom call, you know, you can pick up on whether someone just kind of drew back a little bit or whether they're, you know, the temperature in the room just got pretty frosty, you know, and I think in those situations, right then and there, you might not know where you misstepped. But again, if you reflect on it, and you want to say something to the other person, I think that's, that's exactly where this goes, which is to say, Greg, you know, I, I said something in the meeting, and I just, I blurted out the first thing that came to my mind. And I said it, and it was not very articulate or artful. It certainly wasn't very considerate or respectful. And I wish I could take all that back, but I, but I can't. And I just want to let you know, I'm sorry. Now, what you don't do is keep talking about what you meant to say, because that sounds like justification. So mm -hmm. when you're wrong, you say you're wrong. You say that was out of line. I'm really sorry. That's not going to happen again. And then you zip it. Because if you go, I'm really sorry, but you know what I was trying to say, Greg, is, I mean, it just sounds really like it's not a big deal. Sure. And you just need to own it and say, I can't believe I said that that way. It was really wrong and hurtful and I'm sorry and it won't happen again. I'm sorry. Stop. That would be so helpful. I know for myself, I had a situation recently in a meeting where I said something, I tried to make a little joke. And so I wasn't sure how it was received. And I did go to someone afterward. And fortunately, she said it was fine. But I, I'm not so sure it really wasn't fine. And she was just being nice to me or whatever. But she appreciated that I reached out to her. And exactly. What you've done by that is to let her know that you know that it was wrong. The, the problem comes is when someone is saying something and they have no idea the bombs that they're throwing at someone else, you know, the, you know, the grenades that they're throwing and they're oblivious. And it's really hard to work with someone like that because they don't even see their own behavior through any, any other lens. So even though she might not have been, you know, cool with that, maybe she was still a little frosty to you. Um, she knows that, you know, and that you went to her and you did the best you could then by apologizing. You, you can't fix what you did, but you can say it's wrong. I was wrong. It's not going to happen again. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
Now, if I understand correctly, you have a process, a step-by-step -step process for constructive conversation that results in conflict being put aside and work getting done. Do you want to share with us the highlights of that process, please, Kelly? Sure, I'll do it quickly. Um, Thank you. My proprietary method is called the STARTING method, right? Just like S-T-A-R-T-I-N-G, STARTING. And it's an acronym for eight steps. And the first step is if you're trying to have conversations with people who are not like you, it starts with exactly what we started talking about on this podcast today, Greg, which is, you know, how do you begin? Well, you begin with sincerity, and that's what the S stands for. I have to sincerely want to make progress on this, not do it because my department is told to do this or my bonus depends on it or whatever. It has to come from the heart. And that sincerity is something that people can smell and taste, and it's real. If you're kind of going, well, I guess we're doing DE and I around here this year, and you know, my bonus depends on it. I mean, that's not sincere. But if you say, you know what, we're trying to do better and be better here. And I, you know, I just want to start at the beginning here with letting you know that I'm sincerely interested in doing this. I'm probably going to be a little clunky along the way, but I hope you'll help me. So that's sincerity. The T is transparency, which is transparency can be everything from we have done a terrible job at this company and we need to fix that. Or it can, wow. be, it can be, I have no idea how to talk about this because I've never done it before. I mean, it's just, it's kind of making the, you or the company vulnerable and just wow. completely transparent about that because this is important because if you're transparent, people can trust you. If you're not transparent, they're always going to be wondering, what is he not saying? What is he trying to say? And if you're just, if you're just putting it out there and going, we have to do better, you know, and, and I'm going to need your help in doing better. So let's just, let's just start. So that's the T. The A is acknowledgement. And I think acknowledgement can be everything from, you know, we've been successful at this company, but we've learned that we really don't have a level playing field for everyone. You know, some people get ahead because they play golf with the right people. Oh, wow. Right? Or they go to church with the right people or they know. And we need to acknowledge where we've, you know, where we can do better and where we made missteps in the past. And that's, that's also a big trust thing. So that's the STA. The R is respect. And this is just a simple, oh, wow. you can't, you can't say you're going to try to do better and be better and not respect people when they tell you how, when they're trying to help you to figure out how to do that. So, you know, if people are giving you ideas and they're saying, I see it this way, or here's something I would fix. You can't be like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen because, you know, we've always, you know, so respect. Um, and then the second T is tools. You can't say to people, let's do better and be better. And we're going to become more diverse and inclusive and equitable, but they have no idea how to do that. So tools could be everything from training. It can be everything from involving people in committees. It can be involving people in the community to do outreach, but it's tools. Like what are the, how are they going to help you do this? Yeah. So uh, then the ING, I'll go fast. I, I is investment. Like any other part of a business, you would invest in marketing. You would invest in software and technology. Sure. You would invest in product, you know, innovation. DEI is not just going to happen by magic. You have to do the work and you have to invest. Whether it's um, putting in more time, putting in more effort, you know, actually adding people to your staff that maybe can help you with this. The N is nurturing, and I know that's kind of a gooey word, like gooey word in in 
when we think about it from a business standpoint, and I don't mean that, that you have to coddle people. You don't. But what you do have to do is if you're bringing in people who are diverse to your team or you have diverse people and you're trying to make that playing field level, you have to nurture. And I'll give you one quick example. A good friend of mine is a black professor at the University of Utah. And she told me about a job that she had years ago and she was doing very, very well in that company. But her boss called her into office one day and she said, you know, Kelly McDonald is going to be retiring in six months. Okay. And then she said, do you want that job? And of course, my friend said, yes, yes. Want that job. And she said, okay, then I'm going to help you get ready for it. You're going to need to sit on some committees. You're going to need to meet some people that you don't know. I'm going to open some doors for you, but you're going to do the work. You're going to be the ones sitting on those committees. You're going to be the ones taking those after work phone calls and stuff. But that to me is nurturing is, is not wow. doing work for somebody, but making sure that they've got a shot. And so she helped, she had six months to help this woman get ready and she got her ready. And she said, Kelly, I would have never gotten that job if I had just submitted myself for consideration. Sure. It was about being on the right committees. It was about knowing the right people. And it was also about knowing how that job works by the time she was actually submitting herself for consideration. So oh, that's the, uh, that's the, um, the, the end. And then the final one G is goals. You know, it's kind of like anything else. If you're if you're setting a goal, you have to understand what you're working for. And it can start with really small goals. Like, let's say you're an all-white organization. You can say, okay, we know we need to change that. By the end of next year, we want to see 30% of the candidates that come into our pipeline be diverse candidates of however we're defining diversity. You know, it could be able, disabled, gay, you know, lesbian, uh, you know, non-binary, whatever. It could be uh, someone who, here's one that's, uh, maybe your listeners don't know about this. It's kind of new. It's neurodiversity. Neurodiversity refers to people on the spectrum. And, oh, wow. Yep. And, you know, so there's a lot of ways that companies can take small steps like that. And they can say, this is our goal. We don't know if we're going to achieve that goal, but we got to put a stake in the ground somewhere. And so that's what the starting method is. Wow. Fantastic method. Thank you for sharing all of Thank those you. steps. Certainly. Time is getting very short, but I have okay. two final questions to ask. What's the best tip, Kelly, you ever got on how to work effectively with others? I think the best tip I got is that if you just talk to people and you have those icebreakers, even if it's just walking into the break room and I see that you're making lunch and I say, do you cook? What do you cook? That smells so good. That at the end of the day, people are people. We all actually care about the same things. We care about you know, our kids, we care about living in a safe community. We care about um, our community. We care about being seen and valued at work. We care about respect. All of those things, there's nobody who's against those things, nobody. And so you can find common ground with anyone and just start small. I will take any opportunity to break the ice with somebody. If you're wearing a Denver Broncos hat, I'll be like, <gasps> You, you're a Broncos fan? I live in Denver. Wow. I mean, it could be anything. It could be like, that's a really cool necklace that you have. Where do you find your pieces? I mean, it could just be anything. Start oh. with something because people are people. And they want, I will tell you this, the other tip is they want to have a productive conversation. The other person is never sitting over there like this going, I dare you to talk to me. It's comfortable for everyone when you just start and understand that people are people. 
Ah, that's so beautiful. Most important question we've saved for last, from where can our loyal listeners purchase how to work with and lead people not like you? How can they best follow Kelly McDonald? Well, they can find my book wherever books are sold, obviously on Amazon, but I never, ever want to forget our independent booksellers and our independent bookstores. You know, we authors love you and we stand with you. So it's available wherever books are sold, whether it's online or physically walking into a store. And if a store doesn't stock it, you can always ask them to. My publisher is Wiley. They're the largest publisher of business books in the world. So it's uh, it's an easy, easy, easily found book. And wow. Uh, they can find me on Instagram and uh, Kelly C. McDonald, and they can find me, um, they can email me at kelly at mcdonaldmarketing.com. And I'm, I'm on Twitter, Kelly C. McDonald. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I'm, not, I'm pretty easy to find. Right. Uh, <laughs> listeners, no excuse. Don't hesitate to reach out to Kelly. She's given us a lot of nuggets today. She has plenty more to share, but do yourselves a favor. Pick up this incredible book. How to Work With and Lead People Not Like You. Get one for yourself and buy one for someone else that you work with. Because that will share the good in the world of Franciscans. We don't hold on to the good. We share the good. Share this greatness Kelly McDonald has put together. And after you've done following Kelly and buying this great book, don't forget about us. We're on the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even now on TikTok. So questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, uh, please weigh in for us as well. Kelly McDonald, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a great interview this has been today. Yes, you've enlightened us. Much more you've inspired us. There is hope for working with people not like us. There is hope for meeting people not like us. Continue joy and great success. Continued success in your writing, your consulting, all this wonderful work you're doing. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Craig saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Kelly does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye.